Welcome to the Influential Nonprofit, the show for nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can grow their income and impact. Now, here's your host, Marianne Dersch. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Influential Nonprofit. I am your host. My name is Mary Ann Dersch. I work with nonprofit leaders to grow their influence so they can ask for and receive anything, everything they want, need, and deserve. And I am today with Lauren Reedy. Good job. (laughs) Hi, Lauren. I'm learning. And Lauren has a company called Forever Ready. And I decided we can just flip, you know, Reedy and Ready anytime. It's interchangeable. It's all the same thing. And I am so excited to talk to you because you work with nonprofits and small businesses to, to spread their message in ways they haven't before using what they already have. And so before we get into that, I want to ask my first question, which is always my first question, which is, tell me something that you're super proud of, but you don't get to brag about a lot. I, you know, I listened to some of your podcasts before this and was like, I'm going to know the answer to that. And then here you are throwing me off. (laughs) I would say that I'm super proud of the most recent projects that my team and I worked on was a passion project. Is a documentary film that's still in the film festival circuit. But what I'm most proud of about it is that it's we're trying to get a law changed. And they just proposed the law in the new session in January. And it's going to require that police record child interrogations okay. or, that a law- or that a lawyer be present to prevent false confessions. And the reason why I'm so proud of that is like, you know, we do all this work and this is a passion project we did for fun, for free on the side. And it's just really cool to see how fruitful and it's just making, that, and it's that making story. an impact. Yeah, exactly. So I'm hopeful, but I'm always hopeful. I'm very so, optimistic. And, the, and this is just to be clear, because you're in Tennessee. So this, yes. this is in the Tennessee legislature. Correct. It's in the Tennessee legislature. Right now it's in committee, which means a whole lot of things. Right. Um, but we're sort of building a case. The documentary helps build that case really to just give protection to kids when they're arrested. Right now, I think there are only five states in the country that require an interrogation to be recorded. So if one of our children got arrested and we weren't present and couldn't be there, there's really no protocol in place to protect them. And I don't know about you, but like when I was a teenager, you know, I wouldn't have known what to say or do and what was right or wrong. I mean, I knew right or wrong morally, but I didn't know how to Right. Uh, articulate myself or, right. or speak up. And what we're finding in our storytelling is that teens are falsely confessing to crimes they didn't do because they don't fully understand that by saying you did it doesn't mean you get to leave. <laughs> right. <laughs> doesn't mean this is over and, and you get to leave. So a lot of traction out of that, which is neat. I just think it impacts folks because they didn't realize a lot of people don't realize that that's not yeah. the law. I, that's yeah. really interesting. Like, I mean, I'm in full transparency. My son was arrested. He's fine now. Okay, um, good, good. Yeah, and yeah, and you know, and it was actually a whole big thing, but, and he's fine now, but it was like, you know, don't say anything until we yeah. get there. Right. Because, but so that's great. And I, I really, and I think it's so cool that you can actually see the stories that you told in that documentary affecting people and affecting yeah. change. 
Yeah. Right. And we're Which just is- we're real hopeful that it changes the law. And if it doesn't, at least makes people mad enough to continue to ask people right. to change the law yeah. in their state. So yeah. hopefully we can release that to the public in the next couple of weeks or months. But right now it's still- What's it called? It's called What We'll Never Know. And it's called that because we'll never know what was said in the confession. Right. If it's not recorded. Yeah. So there you go. A little play on words there. All right. Well, okay. So let you, before this business, you were a, your four-time Emmy award winner. So you had a background in television, right? Yes, I did. I looked very different. I didn't have pink hair or glasses. I rarely wore hoodies, but I was a reporter for mostly NBC stations. I started out as an intern and production assistant at an ABC station in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, went to college, got my first job at an NBC affiliate out of Dubuque, Iowa, worked there for three years, got a job in Omaha, Nebraska. So hopped across the state from one end to the other, worked in Omaha at the NBC affiliate there for about 18 months before coming to Memphis, where I am now. And I worked at WMC, which is also the NBC affiliate. No, like that wasn't on purpose. It's just sort of how it landed and worked there for three years before I left my TV career to start the business. So I've got a lot of in front of the camera experience, but I think that what's really interesting is that my background in journalism kind of shapes how I see the world and having been on the other side of being in a newsroom and, you know, wanting what's best for the community and making sure you're informing the community but you only get like one minute on a newscast, right? Right. You can only say so much in one minute and it lacks a lot of context as a result. So now I get to, I used the line that I always use is that I used to stand outside the hospital and report on the thing that's happening inside the hospital. And now I get to go inside the hospital and report on the folks saving the lives of the people inside. Wow. Yeah. It's a real nice transition from the two. I was a journalism major. And the broadcast majors always looked really pretty. (laughs) And everyone, (laughs) we were all super, you know, we were college supers. We'll be like, you could just pick them out. They're just a little bit shinier. I mean, I I wanted to go into broadcast, but then I was, I don't know. I didn't have the confidence. And anyway. Well, um, that's funny. It's funny you say that because I didn't, I graduated from Loris College in Dubuque, Iowa. So it was, uh, my degree was media studies. So I didn't actually like study specifically broadcast journalism, but I was in the college TV station program from like the second I arrived on campus. And then I worked in internships at TV stations through my whole college career. So it was, I was known as the reporter on campus, but at the time I actually covered sports. That's what I wanted to do originally. So I wanted to be a sideline reporter. I still would like, I still sort of dream about what that would have been like to report, you know, from the sidelines of any sporting event, but I would have loved to cover the Super Bowl. I loved to cover bowl games, those kinds of things. So I dabbled in that a little bit in, in my TV news time, but I ended up in the news, the news cycle. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, for lack of a better word, that can be really tough on your soul. Really yeah. soul sucking to stand outside of crime tape and report on, you know, what's happening in the moment, but not get to follow up on the story and figure out, like, did they survive? Who saved them? Right. You know, what does the community think? Just kind of the deeper layers. Right. And so now a lot of the work that we do with nonprofits, we're kind of challenging folks to take the story beyond what you see in the headline. So you read the headline, it tells you enough. Some people don't read any further, but what's the next step? What's the story no one's expecting? What, right. Well, that kind so, of and that's what I was going to ask you about, because it says to spread their message in ways they haven't before. 
So what does that mean? Like how long we're not spreading the message? So it's interesting. I always do this exercise when I, I also speak to nonprofits about the work we do, often sharing case studies about, you know, how we did a story, how we broke it down. But before I tell them any real tactical stories they can take away, you know, to write down what to do in their nonprofit, I ask them to pull out their purse or their wallet or anything they have on them and find something on them that tells a story about them that no one would know. And everybody kind of pauses, they get out their phones, they get, you know, their wallets and they find an item. And then I say, now for the next five minutes, share with someone next to you about your item, you know, and it's amazing the stories that come from that. So we do that whole exercise and everybody's like all in, they've shared about themselves and you've learned something new. And then I say, okay, so that's my challenge to you. The story you should be telling in your nonprofit is right in front of you. It's right on you. It's right in front of you. It's a part of what you do every day, but it seems ordinary to you. So you don't tell anybody about it. And the whole room kind of shifts and they go, huh? You know, a big example of this would be like you work for a homeless shelter that serves families. And to you, it is ordinary. The things that happen every day in the day-to-day of your job, they're wonderful and inspiring, heartbreaking and beautiful, but you don't think that anyone would care to hear about them because they're such a part of your life. So that's the piece that I I say, you already have the story. This isn't like we're trying to reinvent it. This isn't like we're trying to sensationalize it or capitalize on something. It's right in front of you. You just don't necessarily see how it could resonate with your audience because you're in the day-to-day doing the work all the time. A phrase I use a lot, I don't know where I heard this, but you can't see the label of the jar you're in. Right. right? And it's hard hard to see that context sometimes. Oh, it feels, it doesn't, is that really special? Is that interesting? Yeah. I can't, can't get ahead on. The other thing I see is they think everything's special and interesting. Right. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> Which like is did, also not always true. I did a workshop this morning and one of the participants said, we just have so much going on. Like one of the models that I teach people is a content delivery model. I call the content hourglass. And it's like, you're going to tell one awesome story a week. And she said, we have so much going on. I'm yeah. like, but you don't have to tell everybody about everything, you know, like, right. Sometimes it's hidden away and sometimes like, here's absolutely everything. It's like, if you and I would meet and like, here's my whole life, whole you know, life. Whole life. like <laughs> yeah. you get to learn things in, in stages, right? right. Like, uh, yeah. So what you talk about, like, what is an untold story? Like what are like in, in your example, is that what you're talking about when you talk about an untold story, these things that are just sort of around us? Yeah, it's a great, there's two kinds of versions of what I would say about an untold story. One is this idea of what's beyond the headline. And the common example that I use for this is a story that I told right after I left TV about a pizza delivery guy who was shot and robbed and his life was saved inside the local level one trauma center. And everybody saw the story about him being, you know, shot and robbed. Everyone saw the story about him getting, or the the suspects being arrested and charged, but nobody saw the story about the person who saved his life or the team that saved his life. And that was the piece that was kind of always missing. And so from a fundraising perspective on the other side, the audience is used to hearing a patient story, but what they're not used to hearing is both of them like meeting afterwards and a thank you occurring. And so we did a situation where the doctor had no idea the patient came in and surprised him and said, thank you for saving my life. 
And that was a, the untold side of that story. So we could find the headlines of all the other things. And when you're in a gala, you're used to hearing a patient story that's pretty standard, right? This happened, someone saved me, now I do this, right? That's kind of the sort of yeah. simple framework of a patient story. So this was like, what's the thing we haven't told people about before? And so I asked that question a lot. What's what's something that people haven't heard at your gala? What's something that your your fundraiser or your um your donors or your volunteers haven't or aren't expecting? And then the other side of an untold story is typically something people hold close because it's not perfect. And that happens all the time in brainstorming meetings. You know, we'll be having a conversation about who might be the best character to feature on video because video is different than print, right? And it might be like, well, this happened and they were, you know, we served them and it was really great and they're active. But after they left this and this happened, you know, and sometimes I say, well, doesn't your audience need to hear the imperfect part like about real life? And so I challenge nonprofits often to not try so hard to make it so perfect and look like everything they do is perfect and amazing. And there's no story of, you know, I don't want to say failure, but no opportunity on the other side to make things better. So it's sometimes beyond a headline going a little bit deeper. And sometimes it's, you know what it is, but you're afraid to tell it because it doesn't feel like right. the most perfect setup or the most, right. and you're going to say your lines that you, you know, put in your marketing materials. And that is super juicy. And I want to unpack that a little bit because I think you really hit on something where like, oh, I want to tell it, but you know, it wasn't like the perfect outcome. It was, yeah. and, and this is what I work with people on so much is the most authentic, transparent, and vulnerable person is the most influential person. Mm-hmm. And people want to see the gray area. They want to see the truth because there's so much varnish right in our world. And so when people cling to authenticity, because they never see it, right. And so when you see it, you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Like how brave of them to tell the true story, right. To tell a lot of it is trust, like trusting your audience that you're like, first of all, it's trusting yourself that, and also trusting your audience that they will, that they, you can bring them along in the nuance of what's going on. Right. And I would see that, say that a lot. Oh, we're going to hold it close because there's something about that that makes us feel a little too exposed, uh-huh. a little too vulnerable. But if yeah. you're going to say, tell it something important, like stand for something, you know, that somebody's not going to like it or, you know what I'm saying? And I yeah. think we get, we get kind of caught up in like, oh, we want to tell this perfect thing that no one could ever object to. Exactly. Super boring. (laughs) Well, and there's something really important about that that I think can get missed or can get in misinterpreted often is, you know, just like I said, the story you should tell is like right in front of you. It's the same idea that we think it should be something else because we tell people this is our mission. This is the work we do. And so it's got to be perfect. But there's also a side of it. It's their lived experience. So often the stories we're telling are about the impact of our work, which means we're working with clients, your clients who've you know, been impacted by something that your service provided to them. And it would be inauthentic and in some ways cross the line a little bit around ethics and morals of their story if it's not their true story. And that is where I really push. And it's not that nonprofit leaders want to be unethical. That is not what I'm accusing them of at all. But they're thinking about fundraising. They're thinking about who's in the room and what their beliefs are and what their capacity is to give and what tugs at their heartstrings. And so sometimes they don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. They want it to be a happy ending story. 
that makes us all feel like, look at this and, you know, pulling out our credit cards and donating. And when we put in some of those imperfect moments, they feel real, they're truthful, they empower your client, they empower your team, and they show your supporters the real side of your work that they maybe weren't expecting from what they saw in your newsletter or in your annual report or those kinds of things. And I'm talking specifically about video because that's my wheelhouse. But I also think this applies, you know, in print, on social media, and in all the ways that we share our message about our work. It's, I can't agree enough with this because, (laughs) and I want to say like, I eat my own cooking. Okay. Like people who follow me, people know me. I'm very transparent. I'm very open because the more vulnerable, transparent and open I am, the more powerful I am. And the more people want to work with me because they feel like they know me, which they do, right? Like, and so they're getting the real you, no matter what (laughs) I always bring, when we talk about organizations, I always bring it down to individual relationships. Like If you and I meet and I'm all posy, you know, and I'm acting like my life is all perfect, but you know that it's not right. Right. And you're like, why is she posing like this? Why can't like, I'm okay with it. And that if you look at our organization, it's the same thing. People are like, it's okay. We get it. Right. We get that thing. Like situations are complicated and nuanced and difficult. And we, you know, and I think the donor has grown in sophistication right along with, you know, nonprofit leaders and just bring them with you. Let them see inside, not as a navel gazing thing. It was like, let them see what they can be a part of and what they are a part of. Okay. I want to talk about video because that's your thing. So you mentioned, you know, this applies anywhere, but specifically, what do you see as the role of video in nonprofit storytelling? Great question. You know, right now, as we speak, and I'm sure this will be dated at some point because this is the way social media works. But right now, TikTok and Reels and uh, stories are the thing, right? That's not necessarily where your donors are. It's something that I always say. Yes, you can get a lot of uh, traction from shooting stories to show people. I'm talking about Instagram stories to show people behind the scenes of what's happening But oftentimes our donors that are going to give in big ways need and deserve to hear more in a more in-depth, high quality way. So it's sort of identifying, I need video. I'm a nonprofit. If you're a nonprofit, you need video no matter what. There are different tiers of video, day-to-day engagement, behind the scenes video, Instagram stories video, vertical video for reels, that kind of thing. The thing we specialize in is fundraising videos and really diving deep into a character, a program, or a story. And I think there's a place for all three, but when you're in a room- Wait, hold on. What's the three? The the first So you've got like your behind the scenes, I should get my phone out, behind the scenes, vertical video, like here I am, look, this is, we're doing our mobile food pantry or we're, you know, that kind of thing. Then you've got Instagram and TikTok reels where you're still vertical and you're you know, maybe a little more in depth talking about some specific things about your program with captions on the screen. And then the third level would be horizontal as you're probably watching this podcast, mm-hmm. or if you're listening, just so you know, it's horizontal and you're playing it on a screen at an event that might later run in a newsletter and other kinds of digital assets. And to me, that piece is what we really focus on in helping take up the quality level and explain to folks, this is where we are and we're taking you to what we do. I think the three three spots are important to have. When you want to invest in something that's going to get donors to donate in a big way, 
that's when you call someone like us. And you say, I really want to explain this complex story, or I want to take people somewhere they're not expecting. I want to tell a story they've never seen, and I want it to look good and sound good. But we're also not bringing 15 people on set and making it really uncomfortable for people to sit there and have to answer questions about some of the most vulnerable moments of their life. So there's this balance. But having a higher quality video that runs at your gala or whatever your fundraising event is, is going to make a big difference in how people respond that day to giving in the moment. And then it has uses after that. You can break it down into vertical reels for Instagram and TikTok. Mm -hmm. You can send it out in a newsletter. And so we usually start with the high quality piece and think about ways that we can break it down into more digestible content to reach the folks who weren't at your event, which is just as important, I think, as reaching the folks in the room. So yeah, and you can't go up in quality. <laughs> right, right. Like, you can only you can only go down. Right? Like you, you start can only high go quality. Yes. And then that'll that'll well, and funny story about that. So I used to, and I just took this out like in the last six months. Okay. I used to have in my email signature say hashtag say no to vertical video. And all of my peers knew that that was like my thing, right? I was gonna <laughs> die on this thing. You do not shoot vertical video. I've since deleted that from my signature because I understand the purpose that it has. People are consuming on their vertical telephones, right? And that's just the way it is. It's not even called a telephone. It's a it's a cell phone. <laughs> They're consuming that way. But when you're doing in-room asks and when you have an audience that's sitting down to watch something and you got black bars on the side, it doesn't do it doesn't do the same job that a horizontal well-told story can. And it seems that what you you know, that you would get a higher return on investment, like whatever you spend in the video, right? Like you're going to make that up and more in the donations because like you're, you're increasing their engagement and they're increasing their connection. Right. And our latest example of that, and I love this. So it was a conservation organization, which conservation is not easy to explain. Like, what are you doing? You're conserving things. Like, what does that even mean? It's not always visual in the sense that you're helping house families or providing food to those in need or right. teaching kids, right? right. It's just it, conservation is like sort of an abstract thing. And so we had a conservation organization come to us and say, we want to show people the impact of all this land that we've conserved. So we have outdoor spaces in our community. And I said, well, who uses the land? And they said, people. And I said, that's where we start. So we identified two people, someone who lived in the city and experienced the parks in the city the trails, and then someone who lived in a rural part of the trails. And we talked about their use of those spaces, not the amount of space that they had conserved, not the facts of all of how much money was spent to make it happen or how many square miles they did. It was about the people using the space. And so that played at their first in-person since the pandemic event. And that night they raised six figures. It was a record number for them. So they spent about $10,000 on a video and they made over a hundred thousand in the room that night. So it can have impact. And I will also say it wasn't just the video. Like I would never just take the credit for that. Right, right. <laughs> they did all this work to cultivate certain people in the room that night. In a matter of minutes, we were up to 25,000. And by the time we got to the like $1,000 donor level, they were at 50,000. So that yeah. should give you a sense of like, they've yeah. already cultivated people in the room. But that means that we got to $1,000 and there were still $50,000 left in the room of people who thought, 
that moved me and I want to give to this cause. So it, you know, that right there is an ROI that is, I don't know, I'm not good at instant math, but it's pretty good <laughs> ROI, right? Like, I mean, yeah. you, spend, you spend 10 and you make a hundred. Yeah. And that's, I can't always guarantee that every video story you do will do that. But when you come at it with intention and you do something different in the past, we'd done, you know, more videos that were like this much happened here and this much cost here. And it was a lot of fact. And this was like people that looked like the people in the room using the spaces we all know and love. Um, and they realized why it matters in a different way than speaking to the folks who think with their head. You know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> well, and I believe it. every connection starts as an emotional one. Exactly. Um, and that's what, you know, how you're going to connect. I, okay. So I hear this a lot because I have clients, people I work with like, oh, we're, we do policy, we do advocacy, we, you know, like we help the helper, like, or we're, you know, we're a leadership. You we're know, the intermediary. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, you know, we provide leadership, sir, you know, like, and it's all good work, but they don't see it as visual. And so I have answers for this, but what do you say to that? Because I think there are a lot of opportunities, but I do feel like people can say like, oh, we don't really have anything we can show. Right, right. Well, that's not true. That's the first thing I say. You have plenty to show. <laughs> Liar. Um, yeah, you just not, you're not digging enough. But I always say, well, who's impacted by your work? And everybody always answers with a certain kind of person, or they have a name for that, or they say children, or it's a, the answer is always a person. And so I say, well, that's where we start. We don't have to show all these things that aren't visual. We can just hear and see someone that's impacted by your work. And that's where the story starts. So I have like this little diamond that I draw for clients all the time. I'm like, start with a person and end with that person. And let's weave all the facts of the things you've done in the middle. So the people who think with their head <laughs> that are at your event, see the facts, see the impact, but they're hearing from the people you impact. So if it's advocacy, if it's policy, maybe the story is about the person that's going to Capitol Hill to you know, lobby for something. If it's advocacy for better education, maybe it's the kid who's struggling because their school isn't have good facilities. You know what I mean? Like I'm making up all these yeah, storylines, but you're literally, instead of thinking so big about what you do, you're zooming in and you're focusing on one person. And that may not be the whole story. That might not be everybody's story, but it's that person's story. And then it makes it more digestible to folks. And it makes it easier for you to say, here's an example of one person we impacted or how our work impacted this one person. And that actually always challenges people, especially the numbers folks in the room, but it always works because right. we like to hear from people. We don't like right. to hear just, we can read a newsletter with stats. We can see a graphic that you send in a mailer with stats, but if I'm going to watch a video, you can bet it should have a person in it and it probably shouldn't be your ED, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. So that's what um, I learned. So when, a lot of times, because I just did this workshop this morning and here's some, this is like such good timing. So somebody says, Hey, we can't show like I were it was domestic violence agency, a sexual yeah, assault agency. Those are hard. So topics. How, how can we, like, they can't show people and they can't even talk a lot about the person. Right. So how do you, how can you, how can video like really help that? Even if there's not, you can't show the person. Right. Well, I, we've actually worked with a couple of folks that work in those fields and it is hard and it is sensitive and it is very important that you don't sensationalize it. 
So I always ask people, what's the stereotype of your, you know, what you see? And I think everyone who's listening or watching has got a stereotype in their head of an organization that fights sex trafficking or sexual assault, right? And they're like, black and white video, dramatic actors, you know, like dark alley, you know, just like all these stereotypical scenes. And what I often say back is, well, what if we had a person write about what they experience or write about their story and read it off camera? We don't have to show them. And then we just show visuals that support or show the community. One of the things we did is showed like all the beautiful spaces in our community with someone reading their story underneath. So you're seeing skylines and sunsets and, you know, all these things that are beautiful and you're hearing this awful thing that happened to someone. And so that's sort of flipping it upside down a little bit, but just because it's sensitive and we can't show someone on camera doesn't mean we can't ask them to share their words and experience and provide visuals that make people feel. Another option for something like that, that we do is to make it a graphic video, to make it words on the screen that are moving as the person's talking or photos and visuals to support what they're saying. So it's not moving pictures, but just because you have some anonymousness, that's not the word, but you don't, just because you can't, thank you, big words. Just because you can't show someone doesn't mean you can't share their story. And oftentimes, I think this is really important to note in in situations like that, there's someone who's really, really just waiting for you to ask. They want to share. They want to empower other people. They want people to know that this happened. Sure, they don't want their face on camera, but they would love to share what happened and the impact your organization had on them. So making sure that you find a video partner that's sensitive to that, because I know a lot of creative folks that start getting excited and they're like, we could hire actors and we could do this and this and this. And then you start Mm -hmm. to get to a situation where you're being a little insensitive, right? Just because you don't have the visuals or you have a sensitive subject doesn't mean that you can't tell the story through video. All right. So what are some of the ways that you can repurpose or extend the video like say you do a gala, you know, and you have your nice video, like, and I mean, that, that could go, that could take you pretty far. Right. I had an event last week and I had somebody talking about storytelling, like from trauma informed storytelling. She's like, you really just need like three good stories a year. Mm -hmm. And you, you know what I mean? You could, you don't need a lot. Like, I'm just feeling like you could probably take that video and that could set up a lot of content for you. Right, right. And the other thing to think about with the video, I will answer the original question, but is sometimes the videos can also just be for a small audience. If you're cultivating a large donor, share this, share what you played at the gala. But like, let's say we start with, so I don't like five, anything more than five minutes in the room, because I think the attention span of everyone these days is- I I was going to ask you what you thought, what's a good link? Because everyone says, five minutes. I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, Five minutes is even like on the threshold of being too long for me. Unless it's really engaging and you're like on the edge of your seat. Three minutes is a sweet spot. 90 seconds is short and just enough to maybe have someone come up on stage and, and speak next or, you know, kind of tease your audience. But let's say it's five minutes, right? You have essentially five videos from a five minute video that you can break up into little one minute sections. They'll be incomplete. They won't tell the whole story, but they're little teasers that you can send in a newsletter that says, watch here, click to watch the full story. You can make a TikTok or an Instagram reel that's 30 seconds of one of those one minutes. 
And so you're looking at a five minute video that can be turned into, you know, up to 10 pieces of content to use later, especially assuming it's five minutes, you've got a few different characters that you've focused on that you can break it down into different storylines. Another thing you can do is have the event video kind of be all encompassing. And then after the event, you've already produced these things, but after the event, you share the individual stories that were included in the event video. So you can break it down. We just did a release video for a symphony (laughs) and it was a hype video that introduced you to all these characters. And then now they play individual videos about each story that are about 90 seconds long. So you can break stuff up really easily. And that also makes the investment worth it because you're investing in this. And then from there, if you have someone on staff that can do it, that's even better. But if you don't, a lot of companies, us included, do some kind of add-on that we call, it's called a social media add-on. And we can cut up to 10 pieces of content for you that you can use in different ways more strategically once the event's over. Yeah, I I feel like there's, you know, and I like what you said too about this doesn't have to be a big audience. It can be a small audience, right? You can be like you sitting with someone, you know, you're showing them a, a video and also that you can have some, a lot of legs to it, right? It just doesn't have to live in that space. And that's one of the things I'm really big about is, you know, repurposing the content and extending the, the life of that. Because right. I, also, I feel like from a, you know, went from the marketing person that's got to go ask for this, you know, right. you can make it, hey, this is not about, this is about this. And it's also, you know, about, yes, the night of the gala and what, what we can do. Then also, it's more, you know, hey, this is how we can, you, this is going to be around for six, nine months. We can still yeah. keep using this. What do you feel like is, I guess, what do you see? <laughs> trying to ask this question nicely. What is the biggest mistake or what are, what is the biggest, let me rephrase. What do you think? Opportunity? I'm, I'm, try, I'm trying not to be really like, yeah. what are people doing wrong and how do you make them stop? Like, <laughs> what do you feel like the easiest adjustment people could make in the stories that you see and just the nonprofit stories that you see? And I don't care what format, video or whatever. What yeah. is an adjustment that people could make to make them more effective? Do you see how that's a bet? That's a nicer question. Yeah, that was a nice word. <laughs> Good job. Because here's the thing. Our nonprofit professionals are heroes. I mean, yeah. we all know that industry standards have taken salaries up, but they're not making a lot. They're not, you know, they could go work for a corporation and make more. And they believe in the causes that they work Absolutely. for. And they're passionate about the work. And they went through a pandemic and got burnout too. So they're all like- Everybody's you know, doing the best with what yeah. they have. And doing the best with what they have at the time, right? At the time, and, right. Even in my that's important to acknowledge. <laughs> yes. I want to say, like, before you answer that question, I do want to add this. In my old company of 501 Creative, people would want us to show before and after. It's like, oh, the website looks like this. And we are, you know, and we would never do that because it's like, oh my gosh, no. First of all, I'm not going to critique somebody's work like that. And second, yeah. they were doing the best with what they had. Right, right. And they, and they were getting something done. They just wanted yeah. to get more done. Right? Exactly. That's, and that's it. <laughs> so that's, we never yeah. really, we that what didn't make us comfortable because it's like, well, no, they're just, yeah, could yeah. we do better? Sure. But that's because- I mean, they're, they're true the, heroes. Doing right, what they're they doing the best with what they had. What they had. Yeah. So what is one an adjustment that yeah. like people who are listening, like, okay, here's how I can tell a better story. Well, I think it starts with not having a scarcity mindset. The biggest thing that I hear from new clients is, well, you know, we're a nonprofit, so we have limited funds. The answer to that is always, yes, I understand. And just like a business, 
Sometimes you have to spend money to make money. Now, you should be strategic about it. I'm not suggesting that you're reckless and that you go spend a ton of money with no plan, but you do have to invest in this kind of thing to see the ROI. So that's the first thing is get rid of that scarcity mindset around the storytelling side of what you're doing because it's important and people need get to get rid of it, it all together. Because I mean, it, yes, get, it doesn't serve you in no. any way. If the story you're telling yourself every day is there's not enough, there's not enough, yeah. there's not enough time. That's what it'll be. I just had the workshop today. Our thoughts shape our words, our words shape our reality. If that's yep. a thought you, and then because the money it, I just believe the universe is abundant. It'll show up. It's all out there. It's just a matter of attaching to it. Sometimes it feels a little farther away and it's always out there. And when we can tap into that, right, that it's so, it's such a better way to live. So across the board, across okay. the board, let's get rid of scarcity mindset. Let's yes. just, all right. And wipe whatever oh. direction that is. And then the next piece of it is don't do what you've always been doing because your audience is going to expect that. And so often people will call and say, I need a gala video. Here's what we did last year. We'd like to do it like this. And I'm like, flag, 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 flag. Your audience has already seen that story. They've already felt that program format. Yes, there are things about it that might have worked and you should keep those. But as far as the story or the theme, let's take a look at what's happening in the world. Let's take a look at what donors might be in the room and be more strategic about the story that you tell. I, th- I think we get caught in that. Well, it's always worked this way. So let's always do this. Yeah, let's tell, um, this, let's tell it in the same way. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing is, and this is this goes back to what I said before, is latching onto this idea that it has to be perfect can really hold you back. You can miss opportunities to tell stories about people who will really resonate with your audience if you're so worried about it looking perfect. Um, all the way down to like, there's a there's a cup on the table where you shot them talking, right? You know, that doesn't look good. Well, that's what it was. And maybe we should have moved the cup, but that's not, that's a beautiful moment. That's two people connecting. So if you focus on it being perfect, then you're going to be unhappy with it. To recap that, get rid of scarcity mindset. Don't do what you've always done in the past. And don't be afraid to tell an imperfect story because your audience will feel that really authentically because we're not perfect. Exactly. No (laughs) one is like, and I always say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm awesome. You know, like, like, cause when I make a mistake, like I screw up the technology. Well, thank God I'm not perfect, but I am awesome. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) we are almost out of time. Tell me like, is there anything else you want to share? Sure. Sure. You know, it's funny. That's like my favorite question when I do interviews, is there anything else you want to add? And everyone always says, no, but, and, and, and. You, get, and you get like <laughs> your best soundbite ever. I should have been more prepared for that. I would say this, this isn't just about telling stories for your nonprofit. I think this is also about you and remembering why you do what you do and being inspired by that. The, my favorite part about our work is not watching it on the big screen. It's turning to the side and watching people watch it. And sometimes that's donors, sometimes that's volunteers, but a lot of times that's people in your organization, staff that's doing the work day to day. And it gives me goosebumps to even talk about it because to see them see their work on a big screen reminds them why they do it. And it ignites in them something that maybe had, you know, a flame that had had just gotten really small in the pandemic, or they've been really frustrated because things haven't been going their way, but they hear the words of somebody who they worked with or they saw impacted by the work. And they're changed and reminded why they're there. It's so a it's not, Yeah, it's not just about the who's in the room and the audience that's going to donate. It's about a morale boost for your staff and reminding them that their work matters and reminding them that what you do has impact 
And that is one of my favorite parts of it. Yes, we can raise funds and inspire impact and do all those things, but we can also be reminded of what we're called to do and why we are where we are right now. Right. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love all that because, you know, it is a cup. Like I said, you give from the overflow, not the depths of the well, like that's a well filler for people right, right. to see themselves and to see their work represented so beautifully. All right. One last question quickly, Lauren. So if you, you may know this question, but I love karaoke. And so next when I'm in Memphis and we're going to do some karaoke, what's your go-to song? Wanna be by Spice Girls. <laughs> and I'm Sporty Spice. So when the little rap okay. part comes on, yeah, yeah, here's yeah, the yeah. story from A to Z. Z you want to get with me, me but yeah. carefully. We got M. Yeah. Okay, so that <laughs> was my signature song for a really long time. Oh, that's fun. I love it. I mean, I can also do Bust a Move. But Spice Girls is my first choice because I usually get, I get friends who come up and then I take the rap part while they're in the back saying the, whatever that line is. And then they start, (laughs) if you want to be my lover. Yeah. I mean, that's my go-to in the car. Right. My poor son hears me sing that all the time and is like, Spice Girls again. (laughs) I love it. No, it's a, it's awesome song. Everybody knows it. I ran with that one for a while. I, I have new ones now. You know, I wrote, you know, I rotate. Yeah, you got to rotate. So, so you can have it. And, and so we're, <laughs> it's a date. I am doing it. All right, Lauren, thank you so much for thank sharing you for this. Me. And you, where can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. So you can go to our website, foreverreadyllc.com. We've got offices in the Midwest and in the Mid-South. So we serve all over the country. You can also follow us on Instagram at Forever Ready LLC. I'm very active on Instagram as well. Lauren is ready. Yes, ready, not ready. Depends how you read it. (laughs) And then I didn't talk about this at all, but I'm a certified drone pilot. So I have an Instagram specifically for my drone stuff. It's called called Ready She Drones. See the puns? They're really great. Yeah. Um, And every time I travel, anywhere I go, I take the drone and I post on there. So you can see some aerial views uh, That's really just about cool. anything right now, as we film this, it is icy in Memphis. So it's dominated by ice, but in the summer, it's beautiful when there's sunsets and the river and all that stuff. So that's awesome. That's where you can find us. And of course, if you reach out on those platforms, I'm happy to connect if you want to brainstorm your next story. Okay. And all of that is in the show notes. If you're listening to Sweet. this, you can find it all in the show notes. Lauren, thank you again for joining me today. This has been a blast. And yes. And that's it for me and this episode of The Influential Nonprofit. If you haven't yet, you can go to theinfluentialnonprofit.com and download your Influence Starter Kit. And a lot of the topics and the issues that I talk about, you can go deeper into them and start getting people that you have no authority over to do what you want them to do, because that's what I help people do. And we'll see you next time on The Influential Nonprofit. Thanks for listening to The Influential Nonprofit with your host, Marianne Dirsch. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Also, check out theinfluentialnonprofit.com for more resources on growing your influence so you can raise more and do more.